Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD. And today, we're going to get our ninja on. Today, we're going to be talking about Speedos. Today, we are going into an absolute masterclass on sales because I have Marcus Chan with me today on the show, which I am pumped for because not only is he a fellow LinkedIn top sales voice of 2020, but he's also someone who I believe 100% has deserved that award because not only does he have one of the most clever and eye-catching taglines on LinkedIn, which we'll talk about here in a second, right? From Speedos to seven-figure contracts, but also because Marcus understands people. This is what makes him great at sales. He understands psychology, mindset, behavior modification, influence to the level where it's one thing if you're good at it, It's another thing if you can make other people good at it. And that is what he does. He coaches sales reps now, helping some of them double, if not triple their income by following his proven process. And he's here today to share that process with us. Marcus, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, Katie, it's my absolute pleasure. Man, you really built me up. So let's lower the bar before we dive in okay. deep. But I'm excited to be here, man. <laughs> Dude, like, and the beauty is all truth, right? There's nothing in there I said was wrong. So we are going to do this, man. So what I like about this show and what a lot of people come for is, you know, we get right into it. No fluff, no backstories. We're just going to talk through it. And so what I actually thought would be a good way to start this off is, where do you see most sales reps go wrong. We're going to get into what to do, but sometimes we can learn from what the wrong. So of the thousands of reps you've worked with, where do you see most of them go wrong when they're trying to sell? Yeah, 100%, right? And I think it's very simple. A majority of reps who are struggling, they focus so much of their energy in how they pitch and everything else. They focus 100% on themselves and their company. When that really is not as relevant as focusing on the person you are me with that prospect. 
And that's where you, when you look at top reps, the top reps do the opposite. They focus entirely on the customer, the process, and, and what they need and very little on themselves. And they know only once they've earned the right will they position their offer. So that's a big mistake I see all the time across the board. Right. And that's a perfect segue though too, right? So everyone kind of says that, right? Focus on the prospect. Talk about their needs. What does that actually mean? So I'm going to break this into two questions. How do you focus on the prospect? And then second, you said earn the right to give your offer a pitch. How do you earn the right? So start first with the focus on the prospect. What does that actually mean? How do you tactically do it? Then we're going to talk about how to earn the right to sell. So let's dive into this. Yeah, let's dive deep here, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer. Um, if you don't get the answers you want, you have to ask a better question, right? It's classic Tony Robbins. And that's no different for sales professionals. And that really starts with your ability to ask the right questions with the process, whether it's a cold call to the discovery, right? So let's talk about the discovery to be specific here. Because when you when you end that appointment with the prospect, you should really, especially that first meeting, right? Assuming it's not a one call close situation, or even if it is, it doesn't matter. But your goal should be asking the right questions to really uncover what they are all about. If it's going to be a good fit for what you have to offer, right? And I'm sure we'll dive deep into the questions, but that's absolutely vital because only then, once you uncover it's going to be a good fit, can you earn the right to present your offer? Because if it's not a good fit, it doesn't make sense to even present your offer whether it's that call or any other call, because frankly, you'll end up wasting their time and your own time. I mean, it's important to qualify, but it's just as important to disqualify prospects from your sales process as well. And so in your eyes, are there a, is there a difference between qualifying questions and good questions? Because I think a lot of reps, right, they ask their qualifying questions and they feel like, Marcus, I did it. I asked questions. Good questions. Yeah. I went in, I asked good questions. They are qualified. Now I can pitch. What's the difference between a qualifying question and some of the types of questions you're talking about, about exposing you know, need or a, a want there? Yeah, great question, right? So I think a lot of times it's um, uh, reps kind of box themselves, right? They're like, hey, I did... I did medic. I did band. I did these frameworks. Yes. Uh, like everyone's got a, you know something. I'm like, that's cool. That's like the bare essentials, you know? It's kind of like if you're going to go and you're trying to find your life partner and you got at least a minimum bar you want to cross, that's it. But it doesn't mean that's who you marry, okay? Right, right. You want to be able to go deeper. And, and re reality is you want, to, you want to uncover certain things. And I, I make it very simple. You want, to, you want to understand the whys and the hows, right? Why they buy and how it helps. And it's for across the board for anything. Even if they say, hey, we have X budget. That's cool. Why do you have a budget? And how does it impact the business? Right? And that's across the board. And when you, when you start thinking this way, the whys and hows, you start covering different things. So if you uncover why they buy, for example, if they have a curtain vendor, why do they choose that vendor? How they go about choosing them? What made them stick with the vendor? What was the criteria aside from price? You start understanding some of the psychological needs that they have. That's usually beyond just bant, medical, or any other sales process. You start uncovering how they think. And of course, the why and the how also varies depending on which buying influence you're meeting with. Because mm -hmm. each of them may have their own. 
So your ability to navigate that and ask those deeper why and how questions helps you guide to say, hey, you know what? This is a really good fit because I can satisfy not just the basic needs, but also their true deep psychological needs that's going to help them with whatever they're shooting for. Mm-hmm. No, I love this. And so I knew we were going to get to this rabbit hole. I didn't even have to set you up for this, right? So now you're using <laughs> some of my favorite words, right? We're going to get into psychology here a little bit. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about the psychology of buying and influence in sales. What are some of the key things you've learned about how our brains work that you apply into selling and influencing people to make a good decision? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think the, the first piece was is when, when I was studying and learning this, right? Because first of all, when I started in sales, I was like, I was like the pitch monster, right? Like <laughs> knock on 100 doors, door to door, make 100 calls, do all these things, pitch, 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 hopefully it'll close. It's a numbers game, whatever, right? And I, I struggled, right? Um, now, the mistake early on was I focused on how can I influence people? How can I get them to do what I want, right? And that's really the wrong mindset, right? The mindset first should be how can I influence myself first internally? to become the best version of me because only then when I can lead myself, can I influence and lead others. And that's whether it's with leadership or with prospects. And that's where it begins with first by working on my own personal self awareness and being really aware what I was doing. Was it the right behaviors, wrong behaviors? And then by understanding myself, that allowed me to put myself in a prospect's shoes and how can I influence that behavior? And here's a really simple example. Uh, I'm a pretty high energy guy. I bounce off the walls. Some prospects, especially if they're kind of you know, stoic, are very turned off by that. They're like, oh, who's this guy? He's bouncing on the wall. He's got too much energy. He talks fast. They're, they're, they're stoic. Now, average reps, if they acted this way, would just go in and they're like, you know, they're in there, they're, they're bouncing off the walls and et cetera. They're trying to sell that way. By understanding myself more and being more self-aware made me realize, hey, you know what? I, I, I can still be my authentic, true self, but I do need to adjust how I work with that prospect now. I also need to be very careful depending on how they mentally process stuff on the vocabulary I use and, the, and what I actually do. So for example, if I'm working with a CFO, which typically they are obviously more numbers driven, more analytical in general, right? That's how they usually process. If I come in there and my meeting with them and I'm just, just using words like, this is incredible and amazing and fantastic. And this will solve all your problems. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But understanding how they process and they're using more factual base and like numbers, certain things, I need to adjust my words as well, showing precise, detailed calculations or proof to showcase my offer. And when you start, understand, and this is all, again, this starts with yourself first. Mm-hmm. When you focus on yourself, understand who you are and how you're portraying yourself, then you can start focusing on other people and say, okay, you know what? Now I can start adjusting my style to really cater and fit that person. Now, of course, there's psychological principles that kind of apply across the board. That's, that's good for overall influence. But the key is if you want to not just get people to like you, but get them to buy from you, you need to understand how you are and how you impact those people and what they are like. So what triggered that journey or that switch, right? Because not a lot of people that I get to talk to have as many books behind them as you do <laughs> that talk about learning the way that you do, that talk about self-awareness the way that you do. I now watched your webinar over the weekend. I got a little taste of like your backstory. Like, 
What triggered that though? Because that wasn't who you always were. That wasn't how you always functioned. So what was that, either like that, that moment or individual or trigger event that said, whoa, like I need to be better in order for my results to be better? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, you know, when you graduate college, right? Um, you know, I graduate college and, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was pretty like confident in myself, right? You know, probably a little bit egotistical. You think you're bulletproof and you're like, you know what? Like I did pretty well in school. I graduated, I did these things and I'm pretty proud of myself for what I accomplished out of college and going to like a real job, okay? <laughs> no longer like, you know, standardized testing, right? I'm a real job and failing and get my face punched in the, getting punched in the face over and over made me realize pretty quickly, I'm not that great. I'm not that great. And I needed that. I needed that humbling. And, and at that moment, when I struggled, right, I really struggled because I was terrible. So I struggled for weeks. Uh, it made me realize in, in that struggle, in those dark moments, and this is in the last recession, in those dark moments when I thought I was probably going to get fired or I was going to have to quit, get a new job, and I was just struggling. And I was really questioning myself as, uh, you know, as a professional, a human being, can I even do this job? Um, I questioned myself. And I realized in that, in that, in that dark moment – if I want to achieve more, I had to become more. And I started to feed my mind. I started realizing very quickly, I had to become the version of myself that deserves success, right? That earned success. I was still a uh, entitled uh, 21, 22-year-old who just thought the world was going to be given to him, you know? So I realized that moment, I'm like, man, I, I saw things through a small lens. Because in my mind, I'm like, I grew up so poor from my parents and, you know, being one of the first kids to graduate with a college education. I'm thinking to myself, I'm on, I'm on top of the world. I'm already ahead of the game. But I really wasn't. So that, that was important. So at that moment, um, I started just, I started throwing myself into self-development and personal development. Like I became, like I obviously read sales books and, you know, Zig Ziglar, you know, Brian, she's all those normal ones, but I started becoming obsessive about personal development, about becoming the best version of myself, about who I wanted to become down the road. Like I had this like, you know, big goal in my, in my head. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to retire when I'm like 45, 50 from corporate America. I'm going to do whatever I want. But I also realized if I was going to do that, I needed new mindsets new ways of thinking, new values, new beliefs, new habits, new routines in order to get to that level. So I started obsessively throwing myself. I started spending money I didn't have investing into conferences, events, buying books, doing whatever I could to consume knowledge, but also execute on the knowledge. And that was, that was, that was really cool. And I started seeing some results at first, right? And what's really interesting is like, you know, um, over the years, like I, th I think the first four or five years, I started having some pretty good success. And that was, that was neat, but I didn't really realize the power of it. And then fast forward to about 2015, this is at this point, it was about um, 2015. It was about you know, eight years out, you know, out of college and, and working. I'm like, at that point is when I realized I had become a different version of myself. I had no idea. It, just, it was like a slow transformation over time because people started asking me stuff like, hey, how did you, you get promoted like 10 times already? How did you do that? Like, you're like, you're making all this money. How'd you already do this? How'd you get promoted? How'd you do these things? You seem to be in, in peak, you know, mental shape. Like, how did you get here? I'm like, I don't know. I just started reading books and going to conferences. And that was an aha. And people were saying, you should write books, et cetera. So that was the moment though. In 2007, it was when I started to work myself that the failing, the failing moment was when I made a realization, but I didn't even realize how my mind had shifted until almost a decade later. 
I, I love it because it is, you know, people look at overnight success, mm-hmm. but pay, not pay attention to the 10 years of nights that nice. led to that overnight success. Now, you said something I think was, was interesting, and it was a, it's a funny anecdote from Grant Cardone, who I have my own thoughts about. I don't know how people <laughs> listening think about Grant Cardone, but he says something um, that really stuck with me. He was talking to two young individuals, and uh, one of the guys goes, and was like, you know, I've got, I've got $1,000 in the, the bank. What should I invest it in? And Grant goes, what do you mean, what should you invest it in? He's like, should I invest it in, in stocks, bonds, real estate? He's like, you invest that in yourself. You're already broke. You might as well make it official. Like that right. thousand, there's nothing you can do with that thousand dollars in an investment right now. He's like, go buy a book, go buy a conference, go pay a mentor for five hours of their time. Like that thousand dollars isn't going to do anything for you right now. Invest it in yourself. You'll make that back faster than right. any other, you know, call it scheme you can think of. And I always right. love that because he's like, you're already broke. Make it official. That's right. Like you, you already only have a thousand dollars. Might as well zero it out on yourself because I think that's where so many people miss, especially salespeople. They jump around, they look for a better job, a better oh, yeah. territory, a better pitch, a better objection handling technique, and never focus on them being yes. better. And so I, I hope that's a takeaway people get from this: is like investing in yourself pays for itself better than any. EFT stock or bond oh, yeah. you can come up with like over just it's so important. So I hope people take that away from this. And so, so let's go to this next part then, right? So you you went on this journey, you started to get better. And with that, you started to see your results go up. Mm-hmm. Why? Because people started to say, well, yeah, sure, cool. Like, all right, you're better now. What did you start to change in your pitch? Right. So earlier we talked about questions, yeah. asking the right questions, starting to learn a little bit more about them. Okay, I've learned. What changed in your pitch then to start closing yeah. more of these deals? Yeah, great question. Um, what I started realizing was everything affects your close rate. Everything. Yes. And before, when I first started, I'm like, oh, you know what? I need to get better at closing handling objections. Yes, fun, the fundamental blocks of closing, yes, for sure. But I started realizing, because it, it's kind of like you start, you start being able to work backwards and say, you know what? If there's like different parts of the engine, I can refine all the parts of the engine that leads to an overall sales process from the point of they know nothing about me into that awareness stage to generating that interest all the way through. They're all different parts of the the bucket that I can start refining and working on, right? And I'll give you an example, even for my own business, okay? So like for my own business, like the close doesn't happen at the close. The close happens way before. And we start thinking this way. It's like, you know what? Like when I put out there uh, quality content like you on LinkedIn, I know it's going to help my audience. It will also nurture my audience. So you're already increasing your closure by putting out quality content, okay? Mm-hmm. And then every little piece adds up, right? You start realizing, you know what? Okay, you know what? Even how I go on to KD's podcast and have a conversation, how I show up, good or bad impacts my closure ratio mm-hmm. that all ties together if i come up here and I just, I just say fluffy things you know hey yeah 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 you'll see more people yeah yeah yes you know people sell the people yeah yeah uh-huh. i'm real general and we're not tactical here then people are like that's that, that, that only hurts my closure rate, right and you start realizing okay that means when i make that first outreach that first call to them if I'm not properly prepared, like your post today, if I'm not properly prepared for that call and I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, shoot, that impacts my closure, even if I get the appointments. 
If after I send an, an invite to them and even I spell their name wrong, again, that impacts my close rate. And you start realizing every part of your process, right? When you have that first sales call with them and you know, you don't, you, you're, not, you're not prepared. You don't have questions ready, ready to go. You're not asking the right questions. You're all over the place. Again, that impacts your close rate. So all these things are realizing very quickly all impact your close rate. And it's not just at the close of the pitch. The pitch is definitely very important and being able to align what they want, need, and really desire to how you can solve the problems and more. That's obviously very important, but the close is the entire process. And when you understand it that way and you work on refining every part of the machine, you'll automatically start closing more on the back end. Here's a really simple example. Right. Like, you know, like, like I remember early on when I first started, like I'm going into these meetings and I'm just like, my questions are like, I feel like I'm just, you know, shooting from the hip. I'm asking all types of questions. They give me a response. I'm like scrambling and you walk away not knowing if you even did a good job or not. Versus if I actually walked in and I have a list of questions, it doesn't mean I interrogate them, but they're a framework for me to follow in case I black out in that appointment, which we all do. But yes. now I say, if I black out, boom, no problem. I go, right to, I go right back to my list. I can make sure I keep the cadence of the flow of the conversation. So by doing stuff like that, that all increases your closing ratio. Like at the end of the day, the close isn't loss of the close, right? It's lost before that. So if you do the things right on the upfront, it only puts you the highest likelihood of closing once you earn the opportunity to actually ask for the business. No, I, I agree so much. And this is, I think, the shift in a lot of like the um, color seller education um, nowadays, we start to understand this. If you go, you know, I started with Ryan Tracy, Zig Ziglar, um, uh, Har Harvey McKay, like all these yeah. old school guys. And yeah. it was like closing techniques. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's how you close someone. Whereas now we, we completely understand like the close is actually, in my opinion, by the way, I think the close is the easiest part. Yes. The close yes. technically is just asking for the business, which a surprising amount of reps still don't do. They still don't ask, will right. you buy? There's a right. better way to ask it, but y'all get what I'm saying. Like right. we hope the buyer will say, okay, how do I buy? And so for everyone listening, by the way, that puts up too much pressure on the buyer to make the decision. They should be able to buy by saying yes, not asking you how to buy. But the close is the easy part. It's setting someone up to close. Now you mentioned something that you, you know, in this pitch, you know, the wants, needs, desires. How do you weave that in? Because so many people, especially in the software world, especially once that pitch starts, mm -hmm. it's all about the product. Yeah. It's this feature, this button, this gizmo, this gadget, and the wants, needs, desires disappear. Yeah. How do you weave that through a product pitch? Yeah. So I think the first piece is, um, you think about any type of software, there's so many, there could be literally hundreds of things you want to hit on, right? And especially if you have an, an engineer with you, where it could just get con controlled by the tactical details in which now you're only probably selling to maybe one possible buying influence, right? So you want to take a step back. And the way you want to picture this, it's like this. Picture whatever software or whatever product you're selling is like a buffet line, a buffet full of food. They don't want all of it. You know what you want, but it's irrelevant. Based on the prior discovery and the means you've had, what did you uncover in the buffet line that you want to point out? That's really important, okay? That's, that's the first piece. And then as part of it, 
It's just having a very simple framework of, I say, hey, you mentioned earlier, A, B, and C is important to you. They're need, whatever, need, wants, desires. Here's this feature that will help you achieve that. And in reality, out of the 100 features and benefits that you might have, they may only care about five. So those five- Sorry, I'm going to jump in there real quick. Could you say that one more time for the people in the back real quick? 100%. So you say, hey, earlier you mentioned that A, B, and C is really important to you. Here, based off of that, here is this feature right here that helps you accomplish those objectives. And then wait, what do you think? Can you see how it's taking care of for you? Just make sure before you move on to the next next one, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. They get the buy-in. But what he, what he said there, y'all, and it's so important, you don't have to show everything. Right. Salespeople across this country lose deals over features the buyer didn't care about. They didn't care. You didn't have to show it. Only show the things that actually you can tie back to their wants, needs, and desires. So I just I had to jump in there because that's something that so many reps miss. You don't have to show everything. That they don't buy everything. They buy three to four that's things. Right. That's all they want. That's exactly right. I mean, what you have the picture is um, you know, you, you talk about like you know, if you watch any type of martial arts, most people know about um, you know, pressure points. Okay, pressure points causes your opponent to go down, right? And, I'm not, it's, it's, and I don't want to make it like an adversary thing when you're like, you're, you're not fighting your profit. The point is, is they have certain pressure points. Just point out those ones, <laughs> okay? Yes. Whatever's important to them, whatever drives that button, whatever gets them excited, that's the one you want to focus on. And if you have multiple people on that demo, make sure you cater to those people, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, that's the mistake I see some people make is like they go onto like a, a demo and maybe they only met with one person before on discovery. Now there's like three people or four people or more people on that demo and they have no idea what those other people are wanting to see out of the demo. So now you're only selling to one person. They walk away and the other four people are like, well, didn't meet my needs, even though it could have, but they just have no idea. Mm-hmm. And some a, a real quick tip there too is you start talking about like meeting with multiple people and Sam McKenna, who we had on the show earlier this year too, talked about this a little bit. Is if you have a champion, prep for that meeting with them. Don't yes. go in blind. Don't go yes. in like okay, I don't know what everyone cares about. Meet with your champion, and this also, by the way, will let you know if you actually have a champion. Because yes. if they're not willing to meet with mm-hmm. you yep. beforehand. Yep. It won't matter. So you have to find out what matters. And I always recommend you need to find out who's the domino. Mm-hmm. So yes. yes, you need to, you need to you know, involve everyone. But who's the domino in that room? Yes. Who, if you get to fall, everyone else falls with them. And oftentimes, they're the quiet one. They're the one not saying anything. And so finding that person out. So, then, so with this, right? So we've, now we've talked discovery. We've talked the pitch and the close a little bit. Let's spend just a little bit of time on objections. What's your approach to dealing with some of like the common objections? You know, not interested, pricing, not now. Like, how do you encourage your your students to handle those types of things? Yeah. So I say first off, ninety nine percent of the time, the first objection you get is a peer smokescreen. That's just you just have to understand that you just have to understand like you will get objections. In fact. You should get objections. Objections help you navigate the sales process even deeper. Okay, and it's it's a very it's very simple. So first off, whenever they, whatever objection they give you, just agree with them. Just agree with them. Like, oh, you're too expensive. I can see how you feel that way. 
what are they going to say? <laughs> what are yes. they going to say? Yes. <laughs> like, I'm interested. I can see why you'd say that. What? <laughs> yes. Like, you, you uh, finally, it's finally like, someone's getting into this. Yes. Yeah, just agree with them. Like, because maybe you don't understand. That's okay if you don't, you don't personally understand. Like, I don't understand why someone doesn't want to buy. But I can agree with them. Okay, sure. I can see why. Doesn't mean I agree with you. Just agree with them, right? Say, I get it. Makes sense. But then you go deeper. And the, the magic comes in the next move, which is really, you just really need to clarify down what is really on their mind. If they say, for example, hey, listen, um, you know, KD, your, your, your product, your program, your software is just too expensive. The mistake many reps make is they start trying to justify it. Just slow down. Hey, I can see why you would say that, KD. Notice the change in my tone, by the way. Mm. I, I can see why you would say that, KD. Can you tell me a little more about what you mean by that? And just wait. Well, you know, it's just, um, it's more than we expected. Again, that's still super surface level. It's an onion. That's like one layer deep. What do you mean by that? And you just start going deeper and deeper. And then my eventually gets to the point where I say, hey, listen, well, here's the reality. We thought it would be $1,000 a month and your program is $2,000 a month. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> Go even deeper. Like, what does that mean? Like, because just because there's a delta still of $1,000 does not mean it's not a good fit. So you need to understand what's really on their mind. Because prices is an easy smoke screen. And you go even deeper. And you might cover, well, yeah, we only budget a thousand. Um, but you know, I just I just we're not able, we just have no more budget than a thousand's really it. Okay. I I can appreciate that. Aside from the thousand dollar difference, is there any other reason that you would not move forward with our program today and you just make sure that's the only objection now they might throw you another one like oh well i'm not sure about this 12-month contract i got signed with you guys okay tell me more about that again clarify mm -hmm. what do you mean by that oh, we've never signed anything we're you know we're you know we're a startup sure i get that tell me more what does that even mean mm -hmm. i'm just not sure what we're gonna be even six months from now, tell me more. Well, hey, I, you know what? I think our worry is, you know, just what if we're not here? Tell me more. Well, I don't want to be personally stuck. Hmm. So if I understand you right, you're not worried about the contract. You're actually worried that if in six months or three months or one month, if your business is not viable, suddenly you are personally held liable to the software we're going to sign you up for. Is that right? Yes. So now we're getting to the real money, right? right. So I showed that as an example because your response is not as important as you understanding what the actual objections are. Because your response then can be a, a variety of things depending on how you sell and what you sell. And that's where the mistake many people make is they have the response in their mind already. But they might be putting the wrong response in front of the wrong objection. And what you really want to do is you picture it this way. It's like you're driving down the road. Your windshield is dirty. And as you get objections, you keep trying to drive, and you, you're going to run into something, so you got to clear the objections. The questions clear your windshield. 
you open up the object and you get a clear view of the road and then you handle the speed bump or you go around it. And that's how you actually deal with objections because then from there, you can re-showcase value on, on why it's worth the extra $1,000, why they, they shouldn't have to worry about this. Because objections really are, hey, show me why X is not an objection. Show me why we should still partner together. And your ability to uncover the objection is, is really important. And then it's about dealing with it after you uncover the objection. And something very, well, I guess I'll call it subtle because I don't think a lot of people will catch it, but I know it's very intentional with you. And I hope everyone goes back. Listen to the tone switch mm -hmm. because your tone switch was perfect. What most sales reps do when they get objections, they actually escalate tone, yeah. right? So you're talking to them like, oh, it's expensive. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's worth it. I don't think I can do it. But I mean, you probably could. And, I, and I, we start working up. You went back. It was like, oh, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. What, it, what does that mean? And you pull people in. So That's it's right. being very mindful of your tone. And like, I love, so I love like talking with like sales pro because like we can't help but get into mode. Oh, yeah. You're, you're not even dealing with real objections right now. And you can't help but, yeah. oh, oh, tell State me. transition, <laughs> right? You just get right into it. So it was, it's fun to watch and to see this. And I hope people back up. Listen to him, how he's talking normally. And the moment he thinks he's handling an objection, how his tone switches, it becomes a much more of a talk to me tonality. And that's what helps pull things out. So that was a masterclass in tonality. There. I, lo I love that. So let's check out this really ninja move. I think you're going to appreciate this, right? This is super ninja, right? So I have, a, I have an extra technique that allows the prospect to sell themselves out of the objection. Would you like to hear it, Katie? Would you, do you want to hear it? I would love to hear it. <laughs> I figured you would, right? So <laughs> you go through kind of normally, you, you empathize with them, you clarify down, you isolate down. So let's just say they say, you know what? Yeah, it's just, it's really, we aren't able to get more budget. We know we just can't, right? And you, that's the only thing, right? Before you respond, just pause and say, you know what? I get that. And you just ask them this. Hey, Katie, rem remind me again. What did you like most based on what we've discussed so far? And wait. And let them start telling you, well, we like this part of your software. We like this and this. Great. How will that improve your business? Oh, well, it's going to improve by this and this and this. You mentioned earlier that you guys have to make a change. Isn't it worth the extra $1,000 to address these issues you've already had. Yes. So now you're getting them to sell themselves and you may not need to even handle their objection. Mm -hmm. what, and after, you tie it back. You tie, you tie it back. back. You tie it back. Get them to say it. And after they say it, say, well, clearly this is a no-brainer. Should we go ahead and just get you going right now? Yes. Anyway, that's it. Yes. Now, this is perfect, y'all. I hope you hear it. Because remember earlier when he was pausing during his pitch where he was showing a feature and going, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. How does this compare to what you're doing? How would this impact your business? He already knows the answers to these questions. So by the time the objection comes up, you're able to go back and say, hey, well, hold on, hold on. How, how many more deals did you think you would close if you had better training? Or how much time did you think you were going to save? Or like... 
we, we talked about this and it's bringing it back. Most deals are lost because people forget why they needed to do it in the first place. Not because they couldn't afford it or they didn't have budget. They just forgot. Why, wait, why am I doing this? 100%. Well, you think about this. When you go, when you go on for the close, right? It's uncomfortable for a prospect, right? We, we've all been there. We know we're about to get close for anything, right? As on the opposite end. And we, you, you, you tense up, you tense up, right? And your primal lizard brain kicks in. It kicks in. And you're like, it makes you want to pause. So you need to, and at that point when the lizard brain kicks in, they have forgotten everything you discussed earlier. Exactly, exactly. So you need need to bring them back into the state of where they want to buy, right? Not to be sold, but where they want to buy. Put them back in the buying state. And that gives you the opportunity to be able to, you know, hopefully earn earn the business that same day. If y'all want an extra little brain ninja trick there, this is why descriptive language is so important. If you can use very descriptive language of what they'll experience, see, or feel, it shuts down the logical part of the brain. It activates the emotional part of the brain, which is actually how we make decisions. So this is where salespeople and even dealing with that, you know, that pesky CFO we talked about earlier, where it's only numbers. Yes. But if you can paint a description, description of what those numbers are going to be and how they'll go. It lights up the front of the brain. That's what you want lining up. Not the, not the lizard brain in the back. You want the front. So be descriptive as you go into this. And so, and actually with that, I want to ask one quick question here around, we've talked a lot about kind of tactics and techniques, which is great for the sales leaders that are listening. How can they better coach this? Right. Because they might hear this and go, Oh, yeah, that's great. And, you know, they sprint out to their teams like, Guys, guys, I've got it. This is what we need to do. And then no one does it. How can the sales leaders be better coaches? Because that's something that I think you're really great at. It's one thing to create a cool program or a great course, but you're actually able to get people to do it and succeed with it. So for the coaches listening, how can they be better coaches with what they're learning right now? Yeah, great question, right? And I'll say, you know, even before I started my business, right? I, mean, I was leading teams, big teams like you. And, you know, it, you realize pretty quickly, um, you have, your ability to influence your team to perform is, it's vital to your success. And it's not as simple as, let me get out a soapbox here and say, hey team, hey, we're going to be better at asking questions and listening and watching our tonality. Well, most of them are just not going to perform, okay? So the first thing is, is, is it's very simple. Number one, are you showcasing the behaviors you expect as a leader? Like that's vital, right? That is so vital. And the, and the reason I bring this up is so important where I see a lot of leaders as they progress in their career, they get further away from the field, right? Like if you're running a training meeting, are you role-playing with the reps while you are you acting as a salesperson, showing them the behaviors you expect for anything you are training on? That's the first piece, right? And letting them be tough on you. Like you want them mm-hmm. to give you the worst objections. Because there's a few different reasons why it's important. Number one, when you do that, it revalidates you still got it, okay? And number two, it instills belief. And leadership is a transfer of belief. So your ability to transfer that belief into your people depends on how you lead. So by showcasing that behavior is really important. And then number two is making sure, like, if you're, if you're in the field with reps or on the phones of reps, having them see you do it live and coaching, guiding as well. It's so important. Like, I'll have reps where I show them in the classroom, in the office, and they go, oh, it's cool, whatever. It's, we're, we're, in the, we're in the safe zone. 
Then we go on the field. And I do the behavior I expect. And when they see it, boom, when they see it work, it's amazing. Because it's, it's like they, they get to see that progress for their, for their pipeline. And progress is the ultimate motivation. So that's the first piece is just showcasing and doing the behaviors, okay? The second thing is, is when you are wanting to improve your team, you got to seek to understand first. It's not as simple as saying, hey, guys, uh, I know our closing ratio is, is down. I'm going to need you all to ask for the business five times every single day. That's very transactional. Mm-hmm. Before you assume that, yes, you have the numbers and the KPIs you look at, but seek to understand what's really behind the numbers because numbers can deceive you as well. Because anyone can position numbers in a different way. So going to seek to understand and seeing live what's really going on. Like I've always been a firm believer. The answers lie in front of your people. Like if you have a rep who's struggling to book appointments, sit with them on the phones, listen to their phone work. If they're struggling to field the clothes, go with them in the car, back then, go in the car with them, see what they're doing, see how they're when they're called, not as in a checklist way, you know, but as a way to support and engage the troops, lead your troops from the front. And when you do that, you will see the results are increasing and skyrocketing as a result. And I did this across the board where, uh, you know, with, with all my teams where they're used to an armchair quarterback. But once you start showing them that you are 100% invested in their success, not just by what you say, but what you do, you'll see the results start improving, especially when you, you show you are truly committed to their success, understanding their obstacles, helping remove them, coaching and guiding for performance. But what I love about you, Katie, is it's not just sales skills, but life skills. Get them better at life. And when they do that, they're going to be more in debt to you and be more open to all types of coaching, whether it's about money, their mindset, family, relationships, whatever. And as a result of that, it'll compound and it becomes you build a tribe, a tribe of people that will follow you wherever you go. I, I love that, man. And especially as we're getting close to wrapping up here. I mean, that is what it is all about, right? That person in salesperson, right? It makes up more letters in that word salesperson. And it's actually the most important part. The better the person is, the better the sales and your own journey um, actually showed that like to the letter. So, all right. So we got two final questions here. And they're my two favorite, right? We've been riffing for about 45 minutes now, right? We've covered a lot. You have dropped some gold on everybody. Should they forget everything except for three parts about how to be better at sales? What would those three tips, what do you want them to remember? They forgot it all, but they're like, actually, I learned these three things that had an impact. What would those three things be you'd want them to walk away from from this conversation? Man, okay. It's a tricky one. We dropped a lot of bombs here. Okay, yeah, so I'll I know, say, I know. <laughs> I'll say, uh, you know, num- number one, right? Re-listen in, to the tonality that's being done across the board, especially objection handling, especially objection handling, okay? That's the first piece, just understanding that, okay? Uh, The second piece is understand, even from a sales philosophy perspective, your whole sales process impacts your actual close rate. So if you are not closing, it doesn't mean you're a bad closer. It may mean you have other parts of your process you want to really work to improve. And by understanding that, that gives you to, allows you to take a step back to realize that. And then number three, if you want to become better at sales, work on becoming the best version of yourself. When you become the best version of yourself, that will lead to you being able to earn more clients and customers and to hopefully lead a happier, more fulfilled life across the board outside just sales. 
I, I love it, man. It's a perfect segue to the last question, right? Because the name of the podcast is Live Better, Sell Better, right? Focusing on that person, salesperson. So what would be that parting tip in terms of what is the, the life tip here? How to get more fulfillment, how to have more energy, how to be a better version of yourself. What would be your parting advice there? Yeah, so great, great question, right? And obviously, there, there's so many things out there. Um, I would say um, be 100% mindful in protecting your mind space and your head space. And what I mean by that is um, being very careful with what you consume and who you consume it with. So for example, I don't watch the news to my detriment, probably to my own detriment realistically, but it serves me better to not watch the news because I know it's biased whichever side you fall on. It does not matter. So I don't watch the news. I'm careful with what I consume. But also, this ties into who you get advice from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a firm believer, only take advice from people who have achieved what you want to achieve on a consistent level. That's so critical. It's kind of like... Uh, I'm not going to get, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, workout advice from someone who's out of shape. It doesn't make sense. I want to get from the, the guy or gal who's, been, you know, in peak shape and condition for years, right? So again, you're protecting your mind space. That's so vital. And when you do that, you start realizing very quickly, okay, well, I can only take advice from certain people. I'm going to listen to KD. I'm going to listen to Marcus Chan now. I'm going to listen to these people. Cool. Commit to that and make it very, narrow your focus down to those people. Don't overwhelm yourself. Protect your mind space. More is not better. Less is more. Narrow your focus. Protect your mind. And when you do that, you're more likely to execute on what you learn to get the results you're actually looking for in your life, your relationships, sales, whatever you want to improve. I I love it. And he snuck a little word in there towards the end, right, which is execute. If you're going to listen, if you're going to learn, if you're going to read, if you're going to observe, execute. So my man, this flew by. I'm actually shocked that we're already at at time here. I was like, man, I got more I want to dive into, but how can they get more of you, right? Where can they find you? What do you got out there? Like, how can they get more of what you're putting out right now? Awesome, man. Appreciate that, Katie. So obviously you can find me on LinkedIn, the only guy speedos in the tagline. Uh, you could also head to marcuschan.io for slash resources. That's marcuschan.io for slash resources. Tons of free content there, resources, webinars, et cetera, all designed to help you sell more, sell better, and live better too. Hell yeah, my dude. Thank you for your time, your energy, your insights. This was great. I'm definitely going to have you back, man, but I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Hell yeah.